Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is your Sunday Reset. Before we start, I want to mention that we'll be dealing with some sensitive material today that might not be for everyone. So you send your child off to school, and you assume they're safe in their classrooms, surrounded by friends, teachers, and staff. But what if you found out they were shut away for part of the day, all alone, in something called an isolation room? It's happening to kids across Illinois, some as young as five. Jennifer Smith-Richards from the Chicago Tribune, along with Jody Cohen and Lakedra Chavis with ProPublica, are the three journalists behind the story called The Quiet Rooms. They wrote, quote, The students, most of them with disabilities, scratch the windows or tear at the padded walls. They throw their bodies against locked doors. They wet their pants. Some children spend hours inside these rooms, missing class time. Through it all, adults stay outside the door, writing down what happens. Jennifer Smith-Richards from the Tribune joined us to talk about the investigation and says that these rooms are given gentle names, quiet rooms, calming rooms, reflection rooms, but often they're anything but quiet and calming. These spaces do have, you know, very different names, and sometimes parents don't understand what they are, but the truth is they are seclusion rooms. They're rooms that are meant for safety. Right? They're meant for students who are harming themselves, harming someone else, staff or, or other students in the school. But they're being used for punishment in many, many places um, as a disciplinary tool to stop behavior that is unwanted. In your reporting, what type of behavior landed kids in, in these rooms? An entire range. And, and I want to acknowledge that mostly we're talking about students with disabilities. Yeah. And sometimes we're talking about kids who are being physically aggressive and they are being unsafe. However... These rooms are also being used for sort of compliance issues, things that we would think of as normal kid behavior. So a kid who won't stop, like, kicking the leg of his desk or really doesn't like math and is getting upset and frustrated, and so they're tearing up a math worksheet or maybe throwing a pencil. So all of those types of infractions for a lot of students resulted in them being put in a timeout room. Maybe it's called a quiet room. And left there for often a very long time with the expectation that they calm down. And just describe some of these rooms for us so we get an understanding of what the experience is like for a kid who's inside. Right. So the rooms are typically very small. We've had people describe them as closet-like. We've had people describe them like cells. Sometimes they're padded. They often have a door. Not all of them. There doesn't have to be the presence of a door to be considered isolated timeout in Illinois, but often a door. And the door has a magnetic lock that has to be engaged by a staff member actively from the outside. So you'll sometimes see um, a red button on the outside that has to be held continuously to keep the student inside. And in terms of an adult on the outside of the room having visual contact with the child, is that present? It's a requirement in Illinois law currently. And so often you'll see a small window in the door where a staff member, you know, an adult height person, could look in the door. Uh, you also sometimes will see video surveillance. So there will be you know, a camera within the room so that you can monitor the child. And how long are kids being kept in these rooms? We saw the entire range. So there were occasions where a child, sort of the threat of using the timeout room, was enough to stop the behavior. And so a child would go in for a minute and then come out. But we found many, many cases where the timeouts were incredibly long. We're talking about hours of time. We had a child who was put in the room one day 
wasn't compliant, didn't pick up pieces of paper she had ripped, and so was returned to the seclusion room the next morning again until she was compliant. And so we're talking about hours of class time uh, that the children are missing. Now, isolation rooms are outlawed in 19 states, and 11 years ago, Chicago Public Schools stopped this practice of isolating kids. But how widespread is this practice across the state of Illinois today? It is relatively common. What we saw was it was being used in lots of traditional school districts, lots of public schools that serve specifically children with special needs all over the state, suburban, rural, I mean, just really geographically spread throughout the state. In your reporting, when a child is placed in seclusion, what kinds of experiences are they having in that room? So we have the advantage in reporting this story of seeing very detailed documentation. And that included for staff members what they were saying and what the children were saying. So that dialogue was recorded. And then the children's actions. And what we saw was children often becoming very upset, very traumatized in the rooms that they did not want to be in there. They would work very, very hard to get out of the rooms. And that might have included trying to pry, um, you know, a heavy steel door open and bloodying their fingers, punching at the walls, just trying to get attention. We saw many, many cases of children urinating and defecating out of fear or anger. We talked to children who told us, you know, sometimes I'll get in the room and I, I have to go to the bathroom so bad. And I can't get out. And so I'll go in the room and partially in hopes that they'll open the door and let them out um, because they've done something like this. You mentioned that many of the students who are ending up in these quiet rooms are kids with disabilities. Why is that happening? What we're talking about mostly is kids who have some very challenging behavior. Their disabilities often result in uh, emotional and behavioral reactions at school that can be really difficult for staff to deal with. And I think that it's fair to say that it's a difficult thing to learn how to deal with children who have this level of need at school. Isolation rooms and seclusion rooms are an answer, and they are being used in Illinois as sort of the default answer in many of these schools. How did you get onto this story in the first place? I'm a longtime education reporter, and I had actually written about it before many, many years ago. And so I I came here to Illinois and just happened to look at the federal data and thought, huh, that is a rather large number of seclusions for a state that often has been held up as very protective for kids when it comes to isolated timeout and seclusion. I think we were were curious, um, teamed up with ProPublica, and began asking questions to see if we could figure out how often is it being used, where is it being used, and why. And what type of digging did you have to do to uncover these stories? We started with simply the records. We understood right away that one of the things that the Illinois law did do was require this vast amount of documentation. And so we went to schools and made public records requests to see actually those incident-level, day-by-day documents. And we started gathering those. We ultimately ended up with about 100 school districts um, that gave us detailed enough documents to, to really go through and look at. Um, We're talking about 50,000 pages of these types of records. And so um, the team of reporters and and I and actually an editor, um, we had a lot of help going through these records and um, building a database from them so that we could just understand what was happening. 
One of the really stunning parts uh, of this reporting, Jennifer, is that we hear directly from some of the students in their own words. And these are quotes, as you said, that school staff wrote down as they observed children in the quiet rooms. And some of them just really, I mean, they take your breath away. I want to I read a few of these statements for our listeners, but just another reminder here that this is sensitive, so it's not for all ears. I'd rather die. You're torturing me. That's from Central School in Springfield in December 2018. Please, someone respond to me. I'm sorry I ripped the paper. I overreacted. Please just let me out. Is anyone out there? That's from Fresh Start Treatment and Learning Center in Effingham in January of 2018. Please, please, please open the door. Please, I'll be good. Open the door and I'll be quiet. That's from an elementary school in Mattoon in January of 2017. How common were these types of comments from kids as they were in those rooms? Incredibly common. Those comments that we used to lift those children's voices in the story were incredibly common. We ran across all different variations of children screaming out for their mothers, screaming out for their fathers, begging to please just be let out of the rooms, making promises to to behave better. They were very hard, frankly, for us to read, too. What about parents of these kids? How aware were they that this practice was happening and how these rooms were being used? We talked to a lot of parents who simply didn't understand the nature of seclusion. I think in part because you hear the word timeout. And as parents, we sort of understand what a timeout is. We might give our own children a timeout. But that's not what this is. And so when parents, for the first time, were seeing many times these records that they'd never been presented by the school, they were appalled, frankly. They were shocked that this is what timeout really had meant. In terms of long-term impact on kids placed in seclusion, what did you learn about that? We spent a lot of time talking to academics and experts to understand whether seclusion was harmful for kids. We know that there hasn't been a great amount of study about seclusion, but what we do know is that people long-term who have, who have been secluded as children do find it to be traumatic. They do not describe it as a pleasant experience, and they do often think about those spaces in a very negative way. They feel as though they've been punished. You talked to some school administrators on why they use this practice, how they use it. How did they describe the practice from their perspective? I think from the perspective of school administrators and and people who work with, with these kids, they view it as a tool to manage really, really difficult and violent behavior. I think that it becomes a problem for places where that is the only tool in the toolbox. Sort of like if you only have a hammer, you're going to use the hammer. In this case, it wasn't just one of many tools for some of these schools. It was simply the go-to. I think that there are schools that would argue our job is to keep everybody safe, staff and other students included. We have to have an option. Um, And I think that what the state is now trying to do is force a conversation to look at what other options might exist besides this very restrictive type of intervention. Well, as a result of your reporting, Governor Pritzker says he's going to take emergency action to end the practice um, of the use of quiet rooms. But as we said at the beginning, this practice has been banned in 19 states. Why has it persisted in Illinois? 
I'm not sure I can answer that. I think it may be, you know, just from what we're hearing, a practice that has just been around and embedded and accepted for a very long time. It's accepted as, you know, again, a tool and option to work with kids who who honestly do have very challenging behavior. So I think that, you know, as with any other school practice, once it starts being used and accepted and is there, it's a difficult thing to confront and remove and sort of honestly assess whether it's working. Well, as we said, school staff took very detailed notes about um, what happens when a child is placed in a quiet room. And we, we talked about this from the school administrator perspective. But in your reporting, did you find school staff, people who were actively using this practice, that they had concerns about its use? Many of the staff we talked to were very conflicted. They understood that these were kids with severe needs, with great needs, needed a lot of support. But they often felt badly about the practice of seclusion in general. They didn't like to use it. They wanted other options. But many people said to us, I don't know what else to do. This has been presented to me as what we do and how we deal with difficult behavior. And I don't know what other options there are for me. Well, as a longtime education reporter, what does that say to you about the way education policy lines up with what research might tell us about what kids need. Right. It's it's very misaligned. It's obviously misaligned. So when we spoke to people and said, you know, there there are schools of thought out there that focus more on comfort and, you know, helping these children, helping address the root of the behavior rather than trying to stop the behavior when a child is in crisis. And many of the people we talked to did not know that that existed. So there is certainly a misalignment between what educators understand as possible and what the research out there is saying and what other, frankly, other states and other schools are trying uh, with some success. When we think about discipline in classrooms, when we look at data around discipline in classrooms, we see often children of color are over-disciplined comparatively. We see certain intersections with gender. Did any of that data emerge in this reporting? Some. What we were able to tell from from our reporting was this is a practice that's used most often with boys. We can tell you a little bit less about race. And that's mostly because if it wasn't something that was detailed in the records, we simply couldn't record and analyze it. And so most school districts did not include race. There has been some research out there that says that black children are disproportionately intervened with in this way. But our data, it was just simply not um, robust enough when it came to race to to analyze that. We should reiterate here that this practice, as of now, is legal in Illinois. But there are regulations around how it should be used. And in your reporting, how often did you find schools crossing the line and and not practicing this in a way that lines up with with Illinois law? Right. We were able to document about 20,000 incidents total of isolated timeout across the districts that we reviewed. Of those, about 12,000 had enough detail about the sequence of events where you could tell what the actual reason was that the child was sent to a seclusion room. So of those 12,000, about a third of those cases were ones where staff had not documented a safety reason for the seclusion. It was something else, like being disrespectful, swearing, being noncompliant, refusing to complete work. Well, as I mentioned, Governor Pritzker says he plans to take emergency action to end the process. What do you expect to see next? I think there's going to be a lot of debate 
about the merits of seclusion, about safety in schools, and about the right way to treat children with disabilities. Does this story end for you here, or is there more reporting to do? There's more. As a lot of our readers have pointed out, we focused on seclusion. But physical restraint is a very serious and very important issue, too. So we do have a story that explores restraint and what we were able to tell from the records that that we obtained. Um, And we have stories that are going to explain what happens when there is no oversight and monitoring of the practices. That's Jennifer Smith-Richards from the Tribune. She's been talking to us about the story, Quiet Rooms. She reported this investigation along with Jody Cohen and Lakeitra Chavis from ProPublica, Illinois. We'll tweet out a link to the story at WBEZ Reset. Jennifer, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. And that's your Sunday Reset. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jen White. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and let's talk again soon.